0: More action. You're listening to TalkZone.com, Internet Talk Radio.
1: This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. Elliot, like I said earlier in the show, this is our 14th show. And basketball Hall of Fame-wise, we've had Rick on, Harry Gallatin, Cliff Hagan, Bailey Howell, Sam Jones, Clyde Lovellette. Frank Ramsey, Dolph Shays, Jack Twyman, and Lenny Wilkins. We just finished up with Sad Sanders. What a crew.
0: I've learned so much about the NBA from these guys in the last 14 weeks. It's been incredible. Yeah. A a, a warehouse of knowledge. It's taking you back to a time that uh, a lot of people who follow the NBA today, are unfamiliar with it. It's a
1: remarkable journey. And these guys enjoyed playing basketball, and they remained friends, even though they were on different teams. And let's get right to our next guest, one of the top 50 players in NBA history. He was a two-time champ in the NBA with the Celtics, seven-time All-Star, Dave Collins. How are you doing, Dave?
2: I want to know who your booking agent is. It's me. Me oh, and Elliot. Okay. You're doing a good He's... job of getting all those great players together. You know what, though?
1: You guys all are interesting and can tell the stories. If you get today's stars,
0: I don't think they could give what you guys give in radio interviews.
2: Well, we're a little bit older.
0: A little more of life (laughs) observation? A little different perspective?
2: We have a little different perspective, that's
0: right. I want to know first and foremost how a guy who grows up in Kentucky ends up at Florida State. Did somebody in your family piss off Adolph Rupp?
2: No, they didn't really recruit me very hard. I don't think they were interested in me. They had signed, um, Danny Issel from Illinois in the same class. So, um, you know, I was way down on the list, and I I wasn't a very good high school basketball player, you know. And so I only had eight, ten offers. So Florida State saw something in me. Hugh Durham did a good job uh, recruiting in his home state um, of Kentucky, and um, I ended up going there. Partly reason is because they had about seven girls for every guy on campus, so that helped.
0: Tough decision, huh?
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I needed all the help I could get, believe me.
0: Frank Ramsey
1: told us the South will rise again. He's still banking in Kentucky.
2: He's right. It's coming.
1: <laughs> but Sad Sanders had an interesting story. He said that when Tommy Heinsohn told him that, listen, we got this left-handed center coming in and it was something else, he decided to test your heart when he jumped on your back, and he said you gave him a concussion.
2: Who said that?
1: Sad said that the first because time he the, went against your in are
2: going as they get older. I don't think that's true. Well,
0: it sounded good.
2: Oh, yeah. I know. it's a good story.
0: What well, was it like being another left-handed center with the Boston Celtics? You know, the the first one was pretty good. a Guy by the name of Russell.
2: Yeah, I mean, obviously our two games weren't a whole lot alike. Uh, he was uh, a really great shot blocker and um, and a position defender and uh, trying to bring big guys outside. You know, once I learned how to shoot a little bit and, and get them at a disadvantage. Um, you know, um, we both knew how to rebound. We both knew how to block out and had all the fundamentals down there. Uh, but, you know, there's a guy, you know, Russell was a, a, a revolutionary type of a, a, a player. You know, he he changed the way people thought about playing defense and blocking shots and all that sort of a thing. And I think what I brought to it was I, I took um, a guy who was 6'9 and played center, which was, you know, not – I don't think it was a big deal, but I was able to um, bring a little bit of quickness, um, uh, You know, uh, being able to run the floor and play this position a little bit differently than most guys had up to that point in time.
1: The reason you end up with the Celtics was because of Russell. He's the one who said they should draft you in that draft.
2: Well, no, actually, it was Mal Graham. Um, he's the one that scouted me. He had contracted a disease of some sort and couldn't play, so Red had him scout, and he was the first guy to come look at me down down south someplace. And then um, Red went to see a game um, where Bill Russell came into play. It was when I was attending a basketball camp. Uh, Red's uh, it was a, sort of a rookie camp, and um, and uh, we. Um, I was playing out on the outdoor courts. We were having just a a scrimmage after, you know, talking to the kids all day and teaching them, and Red was saying, I don't know if we can play this guy at the center, blah, 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 and Russell said, just play him wherever he wants to play because he's going to be okay.
0: So of all your accomplishments, uh, NBA All-Star Game MVP, Rookie of the Year, You know, we could go on forever. Which one stands out the most to you?
2: Well, I think winning uh, the first championship is always the most special thing. You know, up to that point, uh, as a high school player and a college player, and up the first three years as a pro, I was never able to put my finger up in the air and say we're number one. So that was kind of a special moment, and being able to, you know, uh, do it against uh, Jabbar and Oscar Robertson and, and win it in Milwaukee in the seventh game, uh, that was that made it even more special and dramatic.
1: What was it like going against Bill Walton? Did he talk on the court like he does on the broadcast booth, <laughs> or was he more mellow?
2: No, back then he didn't say much at all. He was, um, but now he's making up for it. <laughs>
0: big, big, <laughs> big time. Well, plus he he took the the marbles that used to be in his mouth when he would talk, and he took those out, so you can almost understand them most of the well, time. That's
2: not very nice. Oh, okay. <laughs> he, at a journalist. And <laughs> so you can pick on <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, you had some great players in those Celtic teams. Was the key to your success Rod Albrecht's coaching, or was it your teamwork?
2: had set up a system that Heine played in and uh, Havlicek and Nelson and uh, and those guys uh, that had played some serious years for the Celtics prior to me getting there. And Tom Heinsohn was our coach. And, um, you know, and Tommy kept all the plays that they ran through the Red back era um, and added a few more to take advantage of what I could do as a center and, um, sort of had me playing outside a little bit, and we changed our defense a little bit on, you know, how we're going to run pick and roll, how we're going to defend pick and rolls, because I could, you know, do a decent job of staying in front of people if I had to switch out on the guards. Uh, so we, we did a, a few different things, but, um, you know, mostly it was, um, just buying into the system of, uh, don't take a lot of time to shoot the basketball, get down and play some defense, uh, press a lot, make the game into a 90-foot game, and, um, you know, uh, try to get early scores before the defense can get set. So that's kind of what our plan was, and it it worked pretty well for a while.
0: Now, how special a place was the old Boston Garden for you? And what was it like to see it torn down?
2: Winning is what makes it all worthwhile and what what, uh, builds the, um, the, um, the mystique and the tradition without the winning, that sort of doesn't happen. So, um, I enjoyed it. You know, it was a, uh, it was a great arena. I thought the fans like one of the, you know, like all the other places that were, um, uh, in uh, franchises that were in the league from the beginning, you know, New York and Philly and those types of places. Um, you know, it's a generational fan base and they really take their sports seriously in, in, in the Boston area.
1: When you played with the Celtics, I mean, you joined the team, Sam Jones had just retired, Bill Russell had just retired, Havlicek was at the end.
2: Were no, no, of... Havlicek wasn't at the end. No, no, he had <laughs> just been, he was like in his um, probably 70 years, so he was just <laughs> yeah. fine time. Yeah.
1: But were you kind of nervous saying, okay, am I going to be part of a rebuilding project or you had faith that the Celtics were going to rebuild on the fly?
2: I didn't think too much. I just sort of played. I didn't worry about all that stuff because what matters is what happens with the decisions that you make, you know, when the, when the, when the clock's rolling. And so I didn't try to figure a lot of things out or pre-plan. I just sort of just took things as they came and tried to learn as quick as possible. And, um, you know, you, you're playing against really good players. So they don't know what you can do. You don't know what they can do. And, you know, you just, it's a whole big learning experience. So I, I wasn't, I really wasn't um, that um, uh, thinking with a lot of forethought about any problems or about what anybody thought about anything. I was just there to play, and I got a chance to play right away, so I was grateful for that because the learning experience started early.
1: I mean, you had some great centers. I mean, the Celtics through the years, you had Russell, you, then you went to Parrish. I mean... It's incredible. You guys never go without a center in Chicago. We've had Artis Gilmore and basically nothing else. Maybe Tom mm-hmm. Borowinkle, Bill Cart, right? But Curry was at the end of his career when he came here. He wasn't the poor he was when he came in with the Knicks.
0: No, but he was the, mm-hmm. the missing. We well,
2: got a couple pretty good post guys right now, and and Noah and uh, Boozer. You know those guys. Uh, they, they they know how to play. They get they get up and down. They can score. They can play defense. Um, you know they're um, they're good, sound, fundamental players. Okay.
0: So in this NBA season, you like the Celtics to go all the way?
2: I, I'm really, um, I, I don't, I really don't know. You know, last year they fooled everybody. They, they, you know, they had to win on the road. They beat, you know, Cleveland. They beat uh, Orlando. They, you know, and um, and then they got to the finals. And if Ray Allen just makes a couple of shots in the third period, they beat the Lakers and they win a championship again. So uh, they they got awfully close. Um, uh, I don't I don't know that the, you know lightning strikes twice like that. I mean they're obviously struggling a little bit uh just because of the length of the season right now, their age. Um they've played an awful lot more games than some of the other people and you got some real hungry up and coming teams, a team in Miami that wants to prove something, uh, the, your team in Chicago there that's um kind of got all the pieces and they and they're they're um they believe in each other and they got youth on their side and you know that whole newness of winning and that um, drive to to win. You know uh, for the first time, and so um, I think it's going to be a very interesting playoff. So it's hard to pick for me. It's hard to pick a winner. I'd say maybe the dark horse to come out of the East would be Orlando.
1: Orlando scares me. I mean, because you've yeah. got Gilbert Arenas, who was one of the top players in the NBA until he got hurt a couple of years ago, and he's still young. You've got Dwight Howard. You've got Terkelu. I mean, you've got some players there.
2: Well, I think Arenas really hasn't really done a lot. I, haven't, I don't know what his stats are. I haven't looked them up. But every time I see him play, i don't really see him playing like the Arenas that I, that I knew. Um, you know, we drafted him when I was at Golden State. And um, I mean, he was so quick and, and energetic and, and could shoot and do all kinds of different things. But I haven't seen him do that. If he ever lights it up and really has some big games – They're going to be really tough to deal with, you know, because they had that great inside game. They had the perimeter shooters you talked about, but they also have Nelson. And if Arenas catches on, you know, that's going to give them a continuation of that same onslaught where they like to play up and down and and and, you know drive the basket, um, that sort of a thing. So I think they'll be, you know, if he catches far, he's going to be. uh, They're going to be a team to reckon with.
0: Now in Chicago, a lot of people are. Saying Derrick Rose is the NBA MVP and all that, and he's going to take them to a title. That they won 62 games during the regular season, but the postseason is a different animal, is it not?
2: Uh, I don't know that it's that different. I mean, I played in a lot of really good basketball games in the regular season and a lot of stinkos in the in the postseason. You know, it um, it the only thing that changes really is that you're playing a team back to back to back to back, and you get so familiar. And you got to be able to use your resources to um, you know, uh, make things happen when the other team kind of knows what you're already going to do. So all your options are going to get used. The playbook gets shrunk, the uh, and usually the rotations get shrunk. And what I've found is that the bench becomes a huge factor in the playoffs. whoseever bench plays the best usually advances.
1: Thank you very much, Dave. It was a pleasure talking to you with your insight into the NBA.
2: All right, Dan. Nice to talk to you.
1: Thank you. Bye. There was Hall of Famer Dave Collins. It was great talking to him. We've had another great show. Future Hall of Famer. We call him future. He's not in the Hall of Fame yet. Sad Sanders, he's going in this summer. But he'll so. be there. He'll be there. And Eslie Coppola, the MMA fighter. You're listening to, you were listening to Sports and Torts. Tune in again next week.